Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. first lesson this morning comes from the Old Testament. It is Psalm 16. Let us listen that we may hear the word of the Lord. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows, their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names upon my lip. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in unpleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson today will come from John's Gospel in the 20th chapter, and actually reading verses 19 through 31. This is after the resurrection, and Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then we have another appearance. Listen now to the Word of God. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked, For fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he had said this, Jesus showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven then. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
And then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to, that, said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But they are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Picture with me a, I'm going to say the classic college small town. It could be the community of Auburn or Athens around the campus of UGA or even, I would say, near the campus of the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Now, apologies to, apologies to Georgia Tech alums. You just can't quite do it with where Georgia Tech is located. That's the big city. But imagine with me, maybe another campus and another community comes to mind a very idyllic setting where it's always sunny, it's always a football Saturday, and the home team always wins. However, this is an evening. It's a Thursday evening. In fact, it's Monday Thursday. It's actually been raining, though the rain has cleared. It is overcast. And two people are walking in this very idyllic, happy setting, but where they are, it is very cloudy. One says to the other, I don't know why I'm going through such doubts right now. I believe, it's not a question of that. It's just what I struggle to believe in all of this process with Easter right around the corner. And the other one says, yes, I know what you mean. My mother is so strong in her faith, knows what she believes, why she believes it. And yet I'm in this season myself. It was a rather dark Monday, Thursday night. The two people we are talking about, and you could place a variety of folks in that situation, are having some very real wrestlings, struggles with doubt in their belief. Doubt is a real, very, very real part of our faith journey. It's not a contradiction in terms to say that there is such a thing as faithful doubting. And doubt plays a role in our text today. This is where Thomas gets branded doubting Thomas. Now, I will be the first to say I think Thomas gets a bum rap in all of this, but you can understand when you look at the flow. We have the resurrection. We have Mary Magdalene and her dramatic encounter with Christ that occurred right before where she's there in the garden and um, she said, um, you know, she sees Jesus, doesn't recognize him at first and says, oh, it's the gardener. Where is the body? Just tell me and I'll take care of it. And he says to her, Mary. And then she realizes that's not a gardener. That's the Lord. And she runs and tells the disciples a wonderful, joyous scene often used on Easter Sundays. And then we have the section that we read where Jesus appears to the ten. And they're overjoyed in that encounter that they have. 
We're going from one high to another to another. And then we get Thomas when he gets told, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. It looks like he's throwing cold water on this joyful progress. Well, what do we know about Thomas? If you turn back in John 11, he makes an interesting appearance, one that we often overlook, even though it's in a kind of one of the more well-known episodes from that gospel. There's a certain man who was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village, and Mary and Martha are his sisters. And you may know the story of Mary and Martha, heard that one, the worrier and the one who spends time at the feet of the Lord, and uh, that famous story for, for, uh, is told, and they're the sisters. And Jesus is very close friends with this group of siblings. They're very, very special friends. And he gets the word that he is very, very sick. And they said, come, you need to come. Well, Jesus lingers. We later realize why he does that, but he lingers. And then he makes plans to go after he's gotten word that Lazarus has died. And Jesus goes on uh, to, to, to the village, to Bethany. Mary and Martha are there. People are consoling them. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus says, you know, your brother will rise again. And Mary said to him, oh, you know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. This is a story sometimes in two parts and one part that we preach and share and love to talk about, but there's a moment in the middle that you often miss, and that's where Thomas appears. They're getting ready to go to the village, and it's been pointed out that earlier Jewish leaders were, were threatening to stone Jesus and said, wait, you're going back? Isn't it dangerous to be going back? And Jesus says he's going to go. And Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. Let us go. We see that Thomas is loyal. That would be a good time to say, I think I hear my mother calling and uh, run off and do something else. But he's loyal. And he says, if we die, we die. Now, I must admit, I can't help but think of Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh fame, you know, the, the donkey. Eeyore, okay, we're going to die. Let's go anyway, okay. I mean, can you just see that scene like that? So, is he a pessimist or is he a realist? We don't have the tone of voice. We don't know if he said it in Eeyore style. Um, but we see at least he's, he's either a realist or a pessimist or a combination thereof, and he's loyal. The next time we have an appearance from him, it is at the Last Supper. Again, this is a section that is very familiar. If you grew up in church, if, if you've been to funerals, you've heard this section a lot. I, I love this passage. And um, 
I wanted my own funeral. I've got it all laid out and written out that, that way. But he is speaking to the people there, to the, those that are gathered. And, he's, and Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, what would, would I have told you? That I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, you may go also. And you know the, and you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. How often have we preached and heard that passage and we hear in my Father's house, there are many dwelling places, there are many rooms, there are many mansions, ways it's been rendered. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We know these verses. We've heard them. We love it. And it's easy to skip over Eeyore when he says, oh, you know, how do we know? Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas is very practical. I think that's something we can draw on from that. He likes to see things laid out. He does not want the flowery language. Just tell me what exactly you mean. You know, dwelling places. What does that mean? Tell me exactly what you mean. With that in mind, his response in our lesson this morning makes sense. Again, when he says... Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and put and my hand in his side, I will not believe. It's consistent with how we have seen him at this point. He wants the facts. Now, I've taken over the years several personality tests, profiles for working with people. Uh, we've done several in the office, even as a session. A couple of years ago, we did one. Um, and so, and you've seen the various profiles. I'm sure if you really think about it, you could easily place the Thomas or Thomasina uh, in your workplace world. Uh, somebody who is very practical and, I'm, and, and wants to see the facts. The person that I would say measures five times before they cut once. And when they see the balance sheet, they want to double check and even say, can we use two different calculators? Make sure both calculators get the same numbers. I think I'm pushing some buttons. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know the person. <laughs> and names are popping up besides Thomas out there. That's Thomas. Now, Thomas has his doubts, and, and he can represent what I would say, the one who has the intellectual doubts. And there are people out there, you have been that person, I have been that person at times. The one who wants to read, the one that have the doubts, reads the, the material like C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. Or maybe um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Um, movie just recently came out, The Case for Christ with Lee Strobel. And I got the, the, the journalist who did an investigation in terms of the claims and did the research. And there are other books like that. Preparing for this, I came across a book, I won't say how many years ago that I read it, but it's called In Search of A Faith That Works, Weathering the Storms of Doubt by Earl Palmer. 
former pastor at University Presbyterian in Seattle. And that was a tough, kind of a tough time for me. As in fact, I go through and look, almost like page after page, I've highlighted things or I've marked things. Notes are all over here of things that I've underlined. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of it, I should do a whole teaching series, I think, how many things that stood out. But that was something in a season of doubt that I was wrestling and wanted to read. And he can represent someone like that. But there may be other reasons that led to his doubt in this situation. Possibly it was burnout and disappointment. He had seen the crucifixion. He was there part of the time, and then he abandoned Jesus, as did the rest of the disciples. But he would have known what had happened and probably had witnessed in other settings different crucifixions. And it's over. And maybe the scabs of hurt were still tender. Maybe he was singing that song by Simon and Garfunkel, I am a rock, I am an island, with such lines as, If I never loved, I never would have cried. I touch no one and no one touches me. A rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Or maybe he's singing along with Dionne Warwick. What do you get when you fall in love? You only get lies and pain and sorrow. So for at least until tomorrow, I'll never fall in love again. I've been there and I'm glad I'm out and all of that. You can go ahead and sing that song. I'm sure it's in your mind now. Maybe it was just too much pain there. The scabs, I said, of hurt were still tender. In our own lives, we have examples of where churches or believers have let us down and that may have led to a season of doubt or questioning. I, I trusted the individual and this is what happened. Or I really looked up to, to her and, and she let me down. Often our doubts are rooted here. It gives fertile soil to those questions. Maybe Thomas said, I never want to get burned again. And so he doubted. Something it may have been influenced with him um, is what I, I just call the parties over syndrome. Uh, I'm kind of not sure about this crucifixion piece and resurrection piece. I mean, sure about the crucifixion, not the resurrection. But a sense of, are y'all just caught up in something? Look, it's over. The kind of parallel I give is, especially this time of year, you've had the joy of Palm Sunday. Just two weeks ago, we had the children parading in here uh, with their palms and the great wonderful songs. And especially if you missed the Monday Thursday service, you go straight to the joy of the Easter service, the beautiful flowers that we have here and the flowering of the cross and the hallelujah chorus. It's all beautiful. It's wonderful. And then the party's over. Like, was that real what just happened? A question mark is there. The hosannas are whispers. The organ is silent. The choir is silent from the hallelujah chorus. Is this real what just happened? Maybe it was a combination of all three. And we know those who've experienced doubts in all areas. But back to our original question. Is there such a thing as faithful doubting. Doubt is a part of our faith. 
as one person put it, sometimes doubters take religion more seriously than those who have never stopped to think about what they claim to believe. And I've had that experience before, sitting down in a conversation with somebody, and the kind of questions with which they wrestle and ask themselves, it's, you know, it's like, gosh, I feel sometimes like I feel more in touch with you, (laughs) Uh, struggling in your faith, asking questions, uh, than the person who seems like, seems like, I'll just say that, at least seems like, has checked a box and gotten on with the next thing in life and never given it another thought. Sometimes doubters take religion more seriously than those who never stop to think about what they claim to believe. Doubt is not unbelief. Let me make that point clear. Doubt is not unbelief. I like this contrast between doubt and unbelief. Doubt can't believe, and unbelief won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is satisfaction with darkness. So how does one go about faithful doubting? Again, we can look at the story of Thomas. We see that he explained what he needed to know. He was honest about his doubt. In that case, I got to see, I've got to touch. He put it on the table. He named it. How often in situations, once we put it out there, once we say it out loud, we can automatically immediately begin to have perspective on the situation. What is it that's bugging me, that's getting to me? He put it out there. So that's the first thing. The second, we see that he spent some time alone in his grief. Again, he is not gathered when the other 10 were gathered. But he also stayed with people who had faith. He was with them after the doubting episode. You know, he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to the 10. They told him. He gave his response. And then following that, he is with them. So he had time alone, but he also stayed in connection, stayed in touch with those who had faith. He did not abandon them. Closely related to that, we see that the disciples did not give up on him. They kept him in the fellowship. It is maybe tempting a person's a season of doubt, not that comfortable around them. It's probably a time when you need to hang on tighter than ever, just to be with them, to know they're still part. The fourth thing we see develop is that in time, his doubts were answered. Now, I want to be careful as I come to that part because sometimes we don't get all of our answers in our seasons of of doubt. There may be a question or series of questions that you will carry with you all the way, that on this side of eternity, you will not get the answer. But still, in time, we see here a resolution came to pass And my sense is that in time, resolution does come to pass of sorts. But he gave it time. Now, in response to intellectual concerns and disappointment uh, that he surely felt, or even euphoria beliefs, and maybe these have been in your own situation, 
I like what one person said, keep pushing. Keep pushing and working. Keep pushing and working and searching. And with time, you will move beyond your doubt to faith. Faithful doubting is possible, even necessary if we are to grow. And may God continue to bless us in our particular seasons of doubt, whether they are now or later. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.